0: Our scripture reading today comes to us from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 17. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot would say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear would say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? And if the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God.
1: Thank you, Andrew, and thank you, Becky hoffner Camp, for being back with us and helping with our music, and for Kathy's direction today. Bonnie and David are away, and there was one other announcement I, I thought about that I'm aware of is Wednesday night the Let's Talk group will be led by our own Joe McNabb. Uh, Joe has written a book, a novel, called The Closet, and I'm looking forward to reading that, and he'll be at uh, Let's Talk Wednesday night, 6.30, to talk about that book and answer questions. So I hope you'll come around Wednesday night and, and spend an hour or so with us. It's good to be back with you. A few folks were asking where we were last week. I want to thank Danny Tomlinson and David Haygood for carrying on in our absence Mickey and I were at a family wedding in Rome, and Andrew's mentioned Athens, another classic city I suppose by its name is Rome, and we saw in the museum up there that that name was chosen. It was drawn out of a hat. It was, I don't know what other names might have been in the hat. Uh, that might have been pretty scary. It could have been something else, but, uh, but Rome, Georgia. So we were up there doing as the Romans do, and uh, but we're, we're back, and it's good to be back. I missed you all last week. June is a time when I want us to think about membership what does it mean to be a member and also a disciple a part of the body of Christ the passage was read a moment ago about the importance of all members being part of the body and we all have something to bring we all have gifts to share we all have so much that is needed by the church and the church is so needed by the community and this broken world. I read a book a couple of years ago by Tom Rainer called I Am a Church Member, and so that's where the idea for this series came from. Next week, of course, is a youth choir homecoming concert, and then on the 20th, we're going to be talking about a unifying member, why that's important, and on June 27th, an unselfish member. So I want us to explore membership for the month of June, <clears throat> talk about that together, And see what the implications are for us as God's church at this time in this place. Membership, when I hear the term, I can't help but think of the television commercial of a few years ago. You remember the one that said, Membership has its privileges. Well, indeed, it does, but it also has its responsibilities. Whether we're talking about the country club or the homeowners association or the civic club or some fraternal organization or you name it. As a rule, members are expected to show up, expected to work for the good of the organization, expected to, quote, pay their dues. When these expectations are not met, membership is sometimes suspended or terminated. Part of that side of our human nature that shows up, I know it does in me from time to time, and maybe in some of you as well, is that we have that desire for privilege without obligation. So let's think about membership now in terms of church membership specifically, and even more specifically, membership in the United Methodist Church, and even more specifically, membership in the Newton First United Methodist Church. Forgive me for committing what some folks would consider to be a cardinal sin, but I want to quote just a little bit out of the United Methodist Book of Discipline. Normally we don't do that on Sunday morning too much. But there's a lot there regarding membership. There's some interesting things there that we don't look at very often. In fact, in one part, the discipline is labeled church membership, and there's a paragraph that speaks of eligibility. And it says, The United Methodist Church is a part of the Holy Catholic, little c., Catholic meaning universal, like in the Apostles' Creed, a part of the universal church. In the church, Jesus Christ is proclaimed and professed as Lord and Savior. All people may attend its worship services, participating in its programs, receiving its sacraments, and become members in any local church in the connection. And then the next paragraph says, The membership of a local United Methodist Church shall include all people, who have been baptized and who have professed their faith in Christ. The baptized membership of a local church, we used to call it full membership. We used to talk about preparatory members and full members, and now we talk about baptized members and those who are a part of the church, the universal church and and the United Methodist Church. All baptized people who have received Christian baptism in any congregation, in any mode. I know there's so many stories about methods and modes of baptism, and we get sometimes in a little different way of looking at things from our brethren and sisters and other churches, but that's okay. Christian baptism in the local congregation or elsewhere or those whose membership has been transferred into the United Methodist Church from another congregation. The professing member, baptized members, and then professing members, or local church shall include all baptized people who have come to membership by profession of faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and who have answered the appropriate questions in the baptismal service. And we'll refer to a couple of those vows in just a moment. And then another paragraph about the meaning of membership. Christ constitutes the church as his holy body by the power of the Holy Spirit. The church draws people unto itself that they might remain faithful to the commission of God and proclaim and exemplify the ways of God. Baptism is a sacrament of initiation into the body of Christ. After baptism, the church provides nurture that makes possible a lifelong of growing in grace in our faith, moving toward perfection, as John Wesley would say, not perfection in that we don't make any mistakes, but perfection in love, maturity in love, spiritual maturity, that lifelong process of growing in God's grace. And then another paragraph, when Persons Unite as professing members of the local United Methodist Church, they profess their faith in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and Jesus Christ, his only Son, and in the Holy Spirit. So they make known their desire to live daily lives as disciples of Jesus Christ so that others may know and be blessed. They covenant together with God and the members of a local church to perform, to keep those vows that they take when they become a part of this body, a part of this organization through confirmation, reception into the church. Let me remind us of some of these vows. Sometimes we forget our vows. Sometimes married folks do and there are a lot of difficulties with that and vows we take in other places and in other ways. But I want us to think about vows that we take, becoming a part of this church, things that we say that are important. There are seven of them that I've listed. There are more, but let's think about these for just a moment. To renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, to reject the evil powers of this world, to repent of our sin. Number two, to accept the freedom and grace and power God gives us to resist evil, injustice, and oppression. Number three, to confess Jesus Christ as Savior, to put our whole trust in his grace and promise to serve him as our Lord. Number four, to remain faithful members of Christ's holy church and to serve as Christ's representatives in the world. Number five, to be loyal to Christ through the United Methodist Church and do all in our power to strengthen its ministries. And six, to faithfully participate in its ministries by our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness. And then number seven, to receive and profess the Christian faith as contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments. And there are many more paragraphs in the discipline, dealing with membership and privileges and responsibilities. And any time you'd like to talk about any of those, if there are folk who sometimes come to a church for a long time and it takes a while before they actually become members. And I'd love to talk to you about membership in this church and what that means and what it means now and in the days to come. So. Know that you're welcome in this place. We need the strengths and the gifts and the graces that you bring. And if you know of others who would like to have this conversation, please, please let me know and we will we'll talk about that. Membership discipleship let's talk a little bit about discipleship because it connects here or I hope it does it does in my heart and in my mind what about discipleship a disciple is a learner a follower of someone and when we use the term we're talking about being followers of Jesus the Christ like membership discipleship has privileges and it has responsibilities We need to think about both. We have an ongoing opportunity to draw closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What a privilege that is. And others sometimes don't take advantage of that. It's always available for us. We have ongoing opportunities, and we have an opportunity always to live for him every day of our lives. And some folks even have opportunity to die for him. So what a responsibility Discipleship can be a costly enterprise. It can be one of those ships that's not always destined for smooth sailing, so to speak. We are called to follow Jesus, and Jesus does not always take the wide, the broad, the easy way. But sometimes the narrow road, which is more difficult to distinguish and is full of potholes and dangers along the way, Jesus doesn't always. Climb aboard a boat when the sailing, when the waters are smooth, but sometimes it's in the boat with us when the waters are choppy. No, I take that back, not sometimes, but always. In Luke chapter five, and you might want to go back and, and read this, check it out, check it out if you will, when you get a moment. There's an encounter between Jesus and his best known follower, his best known disciple. Simon Peter. Jesus was standing beside the Sea of Galilee. He was preaching and teaching. The crowd was pressing in on him, and they wanted to hear the word of God. And he noticed a couple of boats on the shore. So he got into one of the boats belonging to Simon Peter and asked him to put out into the lake a little ways. And then Jesus sat down and taught. And when he had finished speaking, he instructed Simon to head for the deep water and to let down the nets. Simon Peter said, "Lord, we've been at this a long time. We've been fishing all night, long, and we haven't caught anything, but if you say so." And they caught so many fish that the nets were breaking, and both boats were full of fish, and they were to the point of I started to say, stinking with that many fish, but they were at the point of sinking. All those fish. And it was in that Simon Peter fell at the feet of Jesus and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. And he was so distraught. He felt his unworthiness in such a powerful way. And Jesus said, Don't be afraid. From now on you'll be catching people. And when they returned to the shore, they left everything. Everything to follow Jesus, to be a disciple. One of the difficulties, I think, of being a disciple is that sense of inadequacy that threatens to overwhelm us sometimes. Our own sinfulness, our own brokenness, our own inabilities. When in the presence of the Holy One, it's a feeling similar to what the prophet Isaiah felt. And you may remember this call story from Isaiah chapter 6 and... Beginning with verse 1, let me read just a few verses here talking about inadequacy that we feel when Jesus calls us to be a member of his body, to be one of his disciples. And we just don't think we're worthy. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lofty, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphs were in attendance above him. Each had six wings. With two they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The pivots on the threshold shook at the voices of those who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me. I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphs flew to me, holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. The seraph touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed, and your sin is blotted out. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, here am I. Send me. Send me. We feel so inadequate. Isaiah was made aware of his own uncleanness, his own unworthiness being called by God. But God cleansed him and God used him. God's grace prevails. And if we will accept that grace in our hearts, then we are cleared for discipleship. And when you think about discipleship, a book always comes to mind, a 1937 book, a way back when book, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, or some say Dietrich Bonhoeffer, wrote this book. And he had this to say about grace. Such grace, he says, is costly because it calls us to follow. And it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it cost a man his life. And it's grace because it gives a man, a woman, the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin and grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it's costly because it costs God the life of his son. You were bought at a price, he reminds us. And what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon his own son too dear a price to pay for our life but delivered him up for us. Costly grace is the incarnation of God, he said. Without the grace of God, there's no discipleship. Membership, discipleship. Is it possible to be a member of the church and not a disciple? Yes. We can be casual members, interested only in privilege and not responsibility. Is it possible to be a disciple and not a church member? Yes, it is, but it is not possible to be a disciple by ourselves. And I know of no better vessel, no better way, no better group to help us become disciples, to empower us and to encourage us as followers of Jesus Christ than the church that belongs to him. Membership, discipleship, perhaps our sense of unworthiness keeps us from being the faithful followers that Jesus has called us to be, keeping us from being faithful church folk. And when I was pulling this together, I thought about a conversation I had with a man in our in my last appointment in the community. He was not in the church and we were talking one day and he asked me a question that kind of caught me off guard. He said, y'all take sinners down at that church of yours? (laughs) And I said, yes, sir. That's the only kind of folk we take. Romans 3.23 reminds us that we've all sinned and all fallen short of the glory of God and only grace, costly grace, that is only grace that is greater than all of our sin makes us worthy. Membership, discipleship, It's not an either or kind of thing. It's a both and thing. And grace is the only ticket that will get us on that ship. Amen.